Welcome to Desire Made Real, a Discovery of Witches podcast where we recap every episode of the television show spoiler-free, except for this episode. <laughs> I am one of your hosts, Mandy Kay, and when I'm not talking about Matthew and Diana, I'm talking about movies on my other podcast, Pop Culturally Deprived. And I'm Caitlin, and when I'm not talking about Discovery of Witches, I'm podcasting about Lord of the Rings on So You Want to Read Tolkien. And I'm Anya, and when I'm not talking about vampire genetics, I'm podcasting about American Gods on my show Shadows and Shamblers, or I'm talking about my favorite movies and books on my show Hallowed Ground Storycast. So season one is over, and despite having talked about every episode in depth for over an hour, we still have more to discuss. And we are, as Mandy briefly sort of implied, having a general spoiler warning on this episode because we're not holding back. We're just going to be discussing our hopes and dreams for season two. So invariably, spoilers will come up. Sorry, Anya. Yeah. You'll, you'll <laughs> know when a spoiler has slipped by my screens. <laughs> yeah. And before we get into anything, I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone in the All Souls fandom for being so welcoming to our little show. It's been great talking to listeners on Twitter and Tumblr and seeing other more well-known podcasts promote us and, and welcome us. So that's been great. Thanks, everyone. Absolutely. Thank you. So putting you both on the spot right away, what was your favorite kiss from season one? <laughs> the wrist kiss from episode two. That's a good one. Mine is... Okay, my favorite proper kiss is from the end of episode three, and I'm sure that does not surprise anyone. Um, but I do also really love when Matthew kisses her on the nose. Aww. In episode five, I guess that is? Just before the bundling. Yeah, yeah. It's episode five. Anya? Yeah. I was going to say, I think my favorite, um, not even just kissing, but like my favorite romance scene was definitely the bundling scene. It's good stuff. And it's, uh, you know, historically, maybe not accurate, but uh, hilarious, at least. It's accurate in France. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Maybe not historically accurate, but it's historically hilarious. <laughs> yep. Okay, so let's have a quick science wrap up. Anya, was there anything that you felt you didn't get to talk about enough or explain properly or anything sciencey from the end of the show that you wanted to revisit? There were a couple things uh, from the first few episodes where, um, pulling back the curtain a little bit, I, of course, didn't get to hear the main part of the episode until everyone else did um, when the, the right. episode went live. So in the very first episode, you guys, and I think it was Mandy specifically, asked the question of what is the difference between biochemistry and evolutionary biology? Um, because... I think Matthew's expertise is in biochemistry and my personal expertise is in evolutionary biology. Yeah. And so this is actually really interesting to me from a, a history of science perspective, um, because the way that biology is organized has changed over time. Um, so initially, uh, when biology was just getting started, um, it really was more what we would call natural history instead of biology. And it was separated into three main branches. So there was zoology, which was the study of animals. There was botany, which was the study of plants. And then there was microbiology, which was like the study of shit that's so small you can't see it. Um, and fungi just got left out because 
who cares about mushrooms um and you know so as biology advanced and we got um more sophisticated in the way that we studied living organisms it became clear that that maybe organizing just by like the types of organisms that you studied was not the best way to organize things because um you know someone who studied the genetics of cows might have more in common with another scientist who studies the genetics of grass than than someone who was studying you know some other biological aspect of it uh um and the other thing that really revolutionized um the field of biology of course was um the discovery of the structure of dna in the 1950s uh and then you know it completely changed the field of genetics and really brought along the advent of molecular biology where we were actually um looking more at the structure of proteins and how they interact inside the body um so all of this is kind of a long way to say that um in like the 1970s most biology departments in uh at major universities switched from being organized based on do you study plants or do you study animals to being um what level of biology do you study and so the two different levels of biology are kind of within organism and then between organism biology so um, biochemistry is really the study the smallest scale of biology it's interested in like how do single proteins interact with other molecules um, or other proteins in the body um, and then you can kind of scale up to organismal level biology, um, molecular biology, cellular biology. Those are all like the small biology within a single organism. And then there's like bigger biology that's interested in um, how populations change over time. So that's ecology and evolutionary biology. Um, and genetics is really interesting because it actually kind of straddles both of those worlds. Um, so some people study genetics at like a really small scale within the body, like how do genes determine what organisms look like? And then some people um, study genetics more at the bigger scale, like how do the genes change at the population scale? Like what determines um, the selection for what genes uh, get increased in frequency? um or get removed from the population so i don't know if that uh was helpful at all no it was absolutely helpful okay thank you i feel like for people you know normally i would maybe shy away from going that in depth into an explanation but given that you know this whole book is really based on the history and philosophy of science i figured like if any audience is gonna want that it would probably be this one definitely I like that we kind of just had a mini science section here in our episode. And then the only other comment that I that I really had, uh, which is totally trivial, um, but from episode two, you guys were wondering um, how Diana could go rowing um, since her palm had been burned by the Ashmole manuscript in the library. Mm hmm. Um, and so my rowing expertise is actually coming in handy here. Um, if you have the correct rowing grip, 
It should really all be in the fingers and just the very top of the palm and not in the body of the palm of the hand at all. So she probably would have been just fine. And that's actually like one of the ways that you can tell if your ore grip is correct or not is by seeing where you get blisters. If you get blisters in the palm of your hand, you're like doing it wrong. <laughs> Um, hmm. you really want blisters just on your fingers and then that like very top meaty row at the, the top of the palm. The top meaty row. <laughs> okay. That was great. I don't think I had any other science questions. Mandy, did you have anything? No, she answered my big one already. Cause that was me who wanted to know about biochemistry. Okay, perfect. So then before we move on very quickly, what was everyone's favorite change from the book? Do you want to go first on this one? Sure. Uh, yeah, mine was Satu's expanded role. I uh, really liked it, especially since we see more of her at the very end. And I think this will be interesting how that plays out. Okay, Mandy. My we... answer is... Oh, I was going to say, we know that yours is the head in the box. You really, really love the head in the box. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. I like to say head in a box. Yeah. <laughs> mostly. That's what it is. Um, mine is actually kind of cheating um, because it's not any one thing. It's the way we got the world perspective instead of just Diana's perspective in the show. And so we got to mm -hmm. see behind the scenes of Satu and Peter Knox and Baldwin. And we, we got all of this character development that we didn't get in the book. Yeah. And that was fantastic. Like there, I know in the TV show, I love Baldwin. In the book, I don't even kind of like him at all until like the very end of book three. Then Baldwin is, you can kind of be like, I guess maybe he's a good guy under that, maybe. But in the book or in the TV show, he's he's fabulous. And I love yeah, I was actually going to say, I'm shocked that you didn't pick Baldwin as your favorite change from the book because you've been talking about that a lot. And I totally agree that um, TV show Baldwin is great. And at least from what I know of, book one baldwin he's like kind of bleh kind of bleh yeah it's my favorite description of him <laughs> um so my favorite change i think is similar to yours mandy um it's a little i think i'm looking at it slightly differently um but i i like the pacing of the way that the world building information is revealed um, because i kind of felt like in the book you know, because you're so stuck in just Diana's perspective, you don't know anything that's going on. And you're just like, this is really confusing. This doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And then there's like an exposition dump a little over halfway through when Matthew just kind of like tells her everything. And so I think um, the way that the TV show because they had more perspectives, they were able to kind of, um, you know, slowly, or not even slowly, very quickly reveal a lot of the world building information that we, so we found out so much stuff in episode one of the show that we don't find out until the second half of the book. And I thought that it actually worked really well. You know, our, uh, our mentor, Lonnie Diane Rich loves to say that like, you know, it's a good story shouldn't, hinge on like a twist or a reveal of of specific information right like the story itself should hold up without like the big secret at the end mm -hmm. uh, and so yeah and i think this is like such a great example of that yeah absolutely and 
like coming from the perspective where I have actually read all of the other books, um, two, three, and the most recent Times Convert uh, novel as well, they set up a lot of foreshadowing from later books and put some like Easter eggs, I guess, in in this first season, even in episode one. Um, that was really, really great to see. And I think when we do get through season two, it will, uh, there'll be a lot of folks who are going, oh, now I understand that thing. Mm-hmm. I still haven't read Times Convert. It's good. Wait, so what is that? As someone who... <laughs> Times Convert is, <laughs> sorry, uh, it's a newer book uh, with Marcus as the main character. Okay, so it's like not part of the trilogy, but like expanded universe. Yeah, yeah, it takes place after. And it I mean, takes place about a year after the trilogy ends, I think. And I know that everyone's working on one about another character that I'm way more excited about. But anyways, let's not talk about that right now. Um, I was just going to say, I, I got my copy of Times Convert while I was at New York Comic Con, which is also when I saw they like showed the first episode there. Mm-hmm. And then we we were talking about doing this podcast and all I wanted to do was reread the original books. And anytime I was reading a chapter about Marcus, I was like, Oh, I just want Matthew and Diana. (laughs) So I just sort of put it aside. Yeah. But now I get to read it while we wait for season two. So that works out well. Yeah. It's, it's really good because it, it's done similarly to book two where it's following kind of two different timelines. Right. So, because we get a lot of, well, we get, Marcus's backstory, like from human child on up to where he is now. Um, right. And it's wonderful. I actually think we know more about Marcus now than we know about Matthew. <laughs> right. Of course. <laughs> so we did have a few emails from wonderful listeners, and we wanted to read those and, and answer a couple questions. So the first one, we got an email from Sarah. Um, she's at Sarbies on Twitter. And she said, hello, all. First, thank you for what's become my favorite All Souls podcast. I really enjoyed listening along for the past nine weeks. Here's my question. As the show progresses, would you want to see it veer away from the books? I really enjoyed books one and two, but frankly found three a bit of a mess with tons of unanswered questions. Without spoiling Dr. Anya, I also found the big explanation a bit of a letdown. Would you be in favor of the show rewriting the book's finale a bit and possibly even extending past three seasons to tell a bigger story? Or are you happy with the conclusion we got and want to see it played out on screen? Thanks again, Sarah. That is such a complicated question. (laughs) Uh, First of all, thank you for saying that we're your favorite All Souls podcast. That's nice to hear, obviously. I, I hope that with the way that they've been doing the changes with book one, with the expanding of the world building and that sort of thing, and, and the other characters, I think that that will have the conclusions that happen in season, in, in book three, and, and therefore season three, I guess. Um, I think they will feel more like, like with Satu, because we, we've seen this sort of beginning of, 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 um, of Diane and Satu with their sort of like foil relationship. I think that them having to come together and work together at the end, the way that they do, I think that that will have a lot more oomph, I guess, in the show, since we've seen so much more of them. While in the book, you know, you saw the torture, and then at the end of book three, you saw Diana be like, okay, well, I have to get Satu on my side then. And that was that was it. That was their entire interaction. Mm-hmm. 
And so I think that 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 when Diana has that realization in, in season three, it'll be even it'll be, you know, things like that will be have a bigger oomph in the TV show because of the expanded world building. Oh my god! Does that make sense? I'm so excited for a statue redemption. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone is sorry. I'm like, I was. I'm so proud that I didn't squeal while you were doing that. But like, <laughs> yes, you guys are all hearing me get spoiled in real time. <laughs> and I don't, and that's like the kind of that's like the perfect example of why I don't really care about spoilers because like it actually just makes me excited to see how it's all gonna play out. But yeah, I'm. I'm totally down for some Satu Redemption, especially um, considering the way that she's been portrayed in the show. Yeah, I, I I feel like we need to tell our listeners that we definitely checked in with Anya before we started recording. Oh, yeah. And we're like, yeah, we're cool. We're going to spoil. Okay, great. Yeah. I'm really wondering what they're going to do with Satu's character in season two. Me too. Because she wasn't in book two at all. Yeah. And... I mean, she wasn't in book one either, except for the torture. And we got that whole backstory. So I'm wondering if if they're going to give us whatever's happening in Satu's life during this period. Like, are we going to see Satu, like, looking for Matthew and Diana? Well, like, is- in, in the book, I feel like when we see Satu in book three, at least I always just assumed that she always knew she was a weaver. In this, in the TV show, in season one, we find... Mary Diana, head in a box, calls her a weaver, and she doesn't know what that means. Right. So I feel like we're going to have some parallel stories between Diana and Satu in oh. season two, with both of them discovering who and what a weaver is and and that sort of thing. Oh, that'll be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise, that like, like I think that's what they're going to have to follow up on that right. with Satu if, while they're following up on it with, with Diana. Yeah. I think from an extra textual perspective, we're definitely going to see Satu just because, you know, when you hire an actor like that, you, you it like doesn't really work <laughs> to kind of like, we're going to hire you for season one and then not for season two and then bring you back for season three. Um, just well, I mean, I guess that's an American television perspective um, and maybe the way that British TV contracts work is a little different. Um, I don't know. It just yeah. seems like coming from American gods, I think, you know, one of the reasons why they've expanded so many of the side characters is because it's just good storytelling, but also because, you know, like you hire Pablo Schreiber to be Mad Sweeney, like you want him around. You hire Emily Browning to be uh, Laura Moon, like you want her around. Yeah. I was just using Satu as an example also, like there's oh, so many other things that we could talk about. Right. Well, so I was going to say, I'm actually just going to go ahead and spoil what I believe Sarah is talking about when she says the big explanation, mm-hmm. because it I, I just finished rereading these books, too. Like right after we finished recording the last episode, I right. was like binge reading. And so I got through all of them and then got through Times Convert. And I had forgotten what the big explanation was, which is the price that the goddess has demanded of Diana for saving Matthew's life at the beginning. Or, I guess, early in book one, which was in the last episode of the season. Um, and it, it comes up occasionally throughout the books. What is this price? What did she demand? You know, people are like, Diana, you should have done that because you never know what the goddess is going to want. 
and it's built up to be this huge thing. And then you find out at the end of book three that the price that the goddess demanded of Diana is that she let go of her fear. And that's ridiculous. And it has nothing to do with anything else that matters in the story. And so I'm really hoping that they change that, honestly. Uh, they kind of have to because they haven't brought up that magic scares her at all. Like that was a <laughs> big right. a big part of her character in the st- in book one even um, because she would remember seeing her mom do, you know, crazy dark spells and how much it scared her. Right. And we haven't seen and, any of that. And we haven't seen any of that. So there's that. Yeah. In the TV show, it much more comes across as just like she thought she wasn't good at magic. And so, but she was good at, you know, academic pursuits. So she just kind of decided that magic wasn't important rather than it being like a fear-based reason for avoiding magic. It was just like, well, I'm bad at this. And so I guess I don't really need it. I'm just going to do my thing. Yeah. And in the book, it was, I am bad at this. And so I don't really want to do it, but I'm also really, really afraid of it. So I can use this as my excuse for why I don't want to do it. Mm Mm-hmm. And and so, I mean, that thread went through all three of the books and it just it ended up being, oh, in Sarah's words, a bit a bit of a letdown, you know, honestly. And so I'm hoping that they do something much more exciting. I um, interpreted Sarah's question differently than you did. Oh, that the big explanation is what is happening? Like, how do they save the decline in species and how? How, what is the book and how is it all related and all that sort of thing. Oh, okay. And how it turns out that actually, like, interbreeding is the way to save everyone. Hybrid vigor, Uh, man. Yeah. Yeah. And that the... I'm so sorry, Anya, we're going to spoil big-ass things here. (laughs) No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. The fact fact that, that Matthew and Diana can't have children is because uh, in in their background biology or whatever they both also have demon blood and so them and their children are like the coming together of all three species yeah Yeah. i guess that felt i guess that felt less of like a big explanation to me than this other thing but that may be because i was so focused on this goddess thread while i was reading right that um it that's just what overshadowed it for me and that whole thing felt like a bit of a letdown with with how Diana like absorbs the book and everything because it was just like it it didn't really change anything. It didn't do anything. Yeah. It was just like, oh, here it is. And then they're like, OK, well, you know, still all this politics we've got to deal with and still kind of deal with Benjamin and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. No, that's true. It, yeah. It was just more knowledge. Yeah, it was just knowledge. It didn't really affect anything. I mean, I guess going forward, it's going to affect the rules and everything. But in the story, it didn't really change much of anything. Mm-hmm. I have I want to just really dive into it now, but let's move on. <laughs> um. Well, I think the fact that Diana has a vampire baby with her vampire boyfriend is the perfect lead into this next email um, from yeah. Judy. Uh, Jakush, perhaps. Apologies if I didn't pronounce that um, properly. So Judy has a link to an article of that's actually really recent. It's from March 13th, 2019, 
um, and it's called Genome in a Bottle, Spelling Out DNA's Dark Sequences um, by Justin Zook, uh, Z-O-O-K, um, and says, please share with Dr. Anya. This blog title is a perfect fit for a discovery of witches analysis. Um, so thank you, Judy, it's, it's for really that good. article. Um, we'll link it in the show notes. Um, and it's a really, I think, understandable, but still pretty in-depth um, description of the of the modern DNA sequencing services and kind of fits them into the the past human genome project um, and talking a bit about um, inheritance and how, you know, some of the difficulties between going from we sequenced your DNA, here's the sequence to actually being able to interpret it and say like, okay, well, what does this mean for me and my health and, and what um, diseases I might be expressing? Um, so thank you for that, Judy. And then Judy also said, have enjoyed your podcasts. I do hate all the Twilight comparisons as I never read them and gagged as soon as the glitter showed up in the first movie. Thank you for your efforts. Um, and so thank you for your compliment, Judy. And unfortunately, I think we're going to keep doing the Twilight comparisons because, I mean, how can you not? They're like, Twilight, I think, was like, the big pillar of vampire fiction that ushered in this uh this new era and i i honestly i'm not sure if this book would have gotten published or or been as popular without twilight obviously i think most of us share your opinion that uh a discovery of witcher is is the superior vampire franchise but i think there's you know those comparisons are still worth making and i think you know have some interesting lessons for like what makes compelling fiction and you know different tastes for different people if you dear listeners like twilight then go ahead love what you love it's not for everybody um but clearly there's something in it that people like so i like twilight yeah (laughs) there we go i'm not ashamed of it maybe we can have good fluffy fun maybe we can have a bonus episode uh (laughs) that's just only twilight comparisons and judy can specifically not listen to that one um i do think though moving into season season two we will see fewer twilight comparisons there will be a few but they start to become you know fewer and farther in between yeah except for maybe vampire baby yeah yeah. Um, speaking of season two, let's get into some of our predictions. Season two talk. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, we've already spoiled the crap out of everybody. So <laughs> yeah, we have. Let's just keep doing it. Yeah. I I realize we did just talk about upcoming stuff a lot. But uh, before we really get into season two here, I suppose I'm super interested in what Anya, who has not read book two, is hoping to see in season two. Ooh. Uh, well, I'm wishing I read the script earlier so I could have been like pondering this a bit more so i kind of mentioned this in the the last episode but i'm really interested to see how time travel actually functions in this universe Mm -hmm. um this is something that i've been getting more interested in lately it's like yeah just like comparing time travel between different sci-fi works i'm glad that you guys went into your like in-depth analysis for what happened in that final scene and whether they actually made it back safely or not um because i having only read the first book once um 
I honestly like kind of forgot what happened at the end. I mean, I I remember that they were trying to to time walk, but I forgot. I mean, I think the book basically just cuts off when you don't know if they made it or not. I believe so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, yeah, I like that. So obviously, I'm I'm interested to you know see how they imagine this past world. Um, assuming that they do go back in the past, you know, like. I think a lot of the production values in general for the show have been really good for season one. Um, but special effects aside. Yeah, but the special effects were a real mixed bag, right? And so I think recreating historical time periods is one of those things like special effects where it's like, mm, I'm a little bit excited, but also a little bit worried, you know? Um, because I think, it's something that I just... I think they'll do good on that, because it's a practical effect, and it's all the CGI stuff that they have not done good at. That's fair. I guess I was just thinking more that, like, to recreate a historical time takes a lot more effort and money, <laughs> just like CGI also takes a lot of effort and money. And I, I mean, I guess having high production values overall also takes effort and money, but it's kind of on a different scale than just a yeah. present-day environment. So, I mean... <laughs> we're all fans of Buffy. We know sometimes what that's like. Yeah. Uh, maybe there'll be some good wigs. <laughs> some good wigs, yeah. <laughs> they, I mean, we're getting two extra episodes, so it's going to be a 10-episode season. Okay. And I suspect they're going to have more money because it's been such a big hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially since it's um, it got picked up by, I think, both AMC and BBC America. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's be... definitely going to have a much larger audience as well. And over here. Yes. Well, I mean, it's going to get bigger. So yeah, it's larger than it was. That's yeah, what I mean. Yeah, sorry. I'm honestly, I'm, well, I su- strongly suspect that they'll, when it comes to the accent work, they'll just, you know, have everybody in old timey Europe have basically the modern accents um although they did have the whole occitan um thing um which was you know i mean i'm so excited for france (laughs) i mean they clearly have a lot more historical awareness than most period pieces do um but i i just think it's interesting you know because i've read that um that actually like historical british accents are much closer to current american accents than they are to current British accents. I've read that also, but I wouldn't, I would not enjoy that. Oh, yeah, no. You know, it, I, I understand that maybe it's more accurate, but I would still just be like, this feels wrong and I don't like it. Yeah. But if any TV show had the balls to actually go for historical accuracy over comfort, it would probably be this one, but I, I don't think they're going to. So uh, I literally cannot think of any answer to this so mandy this is mostly for you but do you have any actors that you'd want to see in any of the new roles coming up um the one that i've been thinking about the most is galaglass mm-hmm. he's my favorite character in the whole trilogy and i cannot wait to meet him next season mm-hmm. and i don't know yeah <laughs> it's so hard because i mean honestly they're gonna pick somebody who's unexpected who's not very well known yeah, probably. That's the only, I mean, like, that's the reality of it. But sorry, what were you gonna say? Oh, I was gonna. The only like well-known actor I could picture, and I don't, 
even know if like I don't ever remember character descriptions, so I don't remember if Galaglass actually looks this way, but I could see maybe his his fucking name escapes me. Uh Sam Sam Hewen. Yes. Like that he's sort of got the the presence that I picture with Galaglass, the sort of big, muscly, but happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he could definitely do it. I mean, he won't because you know, he's Jamie Fraser and Outlander, yeah. but he absolutely could do it. Um, I think, so this is kind of weird because he's not as young as I think Galaglass is supposed to be, mm-hmm. but I can't pronounce his name. It, Christopher Hivju. He plays Tormund on Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. Yeah, I could see that. I totally think he could do it. He's got the same energy as Sam Hewen, so yeah. And And he's got... Like, I just, I picture Galaglass as somebody with a big scruffy beard, particularly throughout book two, because didn't have a beard. You were weird, apparently, in Victorian England. Um, So he's he's an option for me. I can see that. And Game of Thrones is wrapping up, so he's free this coming summer. Yeah. That'd be interesting. I... (laughs) Like, the only casting, well, not the only casting, but the casting that I really care about is, of course, Philippe. Mm-hmm. But I I have no idea who I want them to get. Like, I, I have literally nothing. Especially since they cast Isabeau older than I was picturing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know who I want. I, I just, I got nothing. Uh, small interjection here. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we write... When we collectively write our like revised vampire genetic fan fiction novel, right? Yes, um, yes. We are going to like very clearly specify that there are like multiple generations of vampires and that the ages totally don't match up. Where it's oh, like yes, the course. mom is like you know was turned in her twenties, and then her son is like in his fifties, and then his son is like. In his 80, I don't know. <laughs> We're going to mess with that shit. <laughs> yeah. Yes, of course. I I think they're going to have to cast somebody age-appropriate for Lindsay Duncan, honestly. It's going to be somebody who, I mean, because she fits that matriarchal, wo- matriarchal role so well, and Philippe has to fit. He has to be the counterpoint to that. He has to be yeah. the patriarch. He's larger than life. He is in charge. Philippe has a. I'm so excited to talk about Philippe because he is he's such an interesting character and he has such history. Yeah, um, I saw somewhere on Reddit somebody suggested um, casting Charles Dance. He's the I don't guy. Like it. Yes, yes, played... yes, yes, yes. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking um, for okay, those of you who sorry, speaking of Twilight references or no, it's Fifty Shades of Grey. There's okay. that YouTube clip of Charles Dance reading Fifty Shades of Grey that is amazing, and I will find that, and then we can link it in the show notes. It's so good. Okay. I have not that seen actually, that. That actually sounds like just the type of trolling Philippe would do. Um, so for our listeners who are not familiar who Charles Dance is, he, I think, most recently has been known for playing the role of Tywin Lannister in Game of Thrones. Yeah. Another Game of Thrones person that we're talking about possibly coming into this <laughs> see as much as i think charles dance could definitely pull it off because he is an amazing actor i he just doesn't look like philippe to me F- like 
Philippe is literally Hercules. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like, like I'm not joking so, that Philippe uh, is Hercules. So you're saying Honestly, so it would Kevin be... Sorbo? Well, no. <laughs> well, no, younger um, Kevin Sorbo. Okay. I think the the guy who plays Jamie Lannister could do it. Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah who's yeah. very uh, Danish and whose name I do not want to butcher. Yeah. I could, yeah, I could actually see Jamie Lannister way more than Tywin Lannister. Is it yeah. Nikolai Kostra? I like how you said you didn't want to butcher his name, and then you were like, "No, let's just yeah, go let's for just it." Yeah, let's right in. <laughs> well, I I will be very interested to see who they cast as Philippe. Going off that, are there any roles we hope are cut, or desperately hope are not cut? Oh goodness. I have seen some people on Tumblr say that they hope Benjamin is cut and that they just um, have, like, the big bad be Gerbert. And I hate that idea so much. That's terrible. For me, I, I would hate that. Benjamin is such a personal bad guy to Matthew in particular and such a foil to Matthew. Yeah. And such it takes the same things that Matthew has and learns and is, is searching for and takes them to that super dark place. Yeah, it doesn't make sense for it to be Jerbear. I mean, Jerbear yeah. is, he's an evil dude, but he's not that evil. I mean, he's the kind of evil that will keep a head in a box for 100 years, mm-hmm. but he's not going to rape women to death. And he he's sort of all about his own gain. Benjamin was just, he like, it wasn't about gain. It was about power and, or control and... I, I, it was just it was his his motivations were su- were more evil i suppose i guess i'm saying like it wasn't about him just wanting to be in control of everything it was him literally having the same motivations as matthew but taking them to that dark place yeah so that's that's why i think benjamin's a much more interesting bad guy do you have any actors that you would want to play Benjamin? I know we kind of already talked about that, but since you specifically brought him up. No. Um, and in season two, you only see Benjamin for like 10 seconds. I see. Uh, but but it needs to be, it, if they have that exact scene, it needs to be intense. Like, because Matthew's not in it, so he doesn't see him. It's only Diana that sees him and she doesn't know who he is. And, but she is still like affected by this meeting and is creeped out and and like remembers it, even though it's very brief. So it needs to be somebody who can do that. If we're going to keep going on a Game of Thrones theme, do you think the actor who played Ramsey Bolton would work for that? <sighs> See, I'm just thinking of like oh creepy, horrible motherfuckers. Sorry, like, I don't. Yes. I didn't ask. Is this podcast explicit? I don't know. My when Alan. Oh, yeah, and I no, every episode. Yeah, go has ahead. Been. <laughs> Good. Okay. Just I check. think there was an episode that we almost literally called it "fuck yeah, Ega," though. But okay. yeah. Um. See, I don't. Uh. Yes, but I think. See, I think he's creepy just because Ramsey Bolton. You know, mm-hmm. like I can't separate the actor from the character. Yeah. Yeah, but you at least know he's capable of that, and like can pull yeah. it off. That's true. So my fan casting for Benjamin is possibly going to shock everybody. Okay. Is it David Tennant? He is... No, God, no, no, God, no. Don't hurt my heart like that. Jessica Jones was already too much for mm. your heart. It really was. It really was. David Tennant would be so good, though. Oh, my God. 
So this is actually another Game of Thrones veteran, but um, he's kind of been in everything. He was on Nashville. He was an Orphan Black. He's he's done a ton of stuff. He is um, Michael Huseman. Uh, most recently, he played Stephen Crane on The Haunting of Hill House. If you guys saw that, I don't watch horror. Um, he's I'm so good. He played Cal on Orphan Black, and he was the most recent Dario on Game of Thrones. He ended up in love with oh, yeah. Daenerys. I think he could pull it off. Dario number two? Yeah, Dario number two. I could definitely see him pulling off creepy and, like, like incredibly yeah, evil. He has worked with Matthew Good before. Sort of. I don't think they had any scenes together, but they were in the same movie. I do really like him. I just apparently didn't know his name. Anybody else have any roles that they are sort of attached to i there are roles that i absolutely hate but i feel like they're still so integral to the plot that i don't see how they can be cut um i'm particularly thinking of christopher marlowe and father hubbard yeah uh it's not you know i i do like a good fantasy book that has a good cast of queer characters but Man, Christopher Marlowe was a little bitch in that book. Yes. You know, they could cut Sir Walter Raleigh. They could. Yeah, absolutely. They could, because a lot of the characters in Shadow of Night are definitely Deborah Harkness being like, history, yay. (laughs) You know? Yeah, absolutely. Some of those can be cut, um, but there were so many that, that just interwove into the interpersonal relationships of Diana and Matthew so much yeah. that I'm not sure that they can be cut. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. I'm sure they will because, I mean, I'm not a TV writer. They're going to do what's really good. Yeah. But I I don't know what it's going to look like. I can't imagine. I can't imagine either. Especially since... Like, we're getting more episodes, but it still feels so short. Yeah, and well, book two was longer than book one. Yeah. There's so much in there. Like, I just keep thinking of more and more characters. You know, I bet they'll cut Hancock. I genuinely don't even remember who Hancock is. <laughs> um, He was with Gallo Glass a lot. I imagine they will combine those two characters and make them just Gallo Glass. Okay. I hope they cut Queen Elizabeth, but I don't think they're going to, because, again, that'll just be fun. But it was so useless. Yeah, it was pretty useless. Actually, having Matthew's whole like spy side could be yeah. cut. The only purpose it served was adding complication for future Matthew pretending to be past Matthew. Yeah. And also like having giving Matthew a reason to know all these people. Oh, yeah, that's true, too. Like all the famous historical people. Yeah. I am so excited for Gallo Glass and, and Philippe, though. I'm also, like, really just excited for that scene where Matthew realizes that he can't avoid seeing Philippe, even though he really doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. <sighs> the drama. <sighs> it's going to be so good. Oh, my God. And finding out exactly how Philippe died. Yes. Oh, it's going to be so hard. I'm just so excited to see Matthew Good act that scene. He can do it. He yeah, can absolutely do it. Yeah, it's going to be good. So that's the thing. They got to get somebody who can act opposite Matthew Good with his face. 
but which I mean, like, you know, how he would just have like a slight change in expression and you yeah. know exactly what was happening. That, you know, honestly, that's why I think it's going to be somebody who is not on par with Lindsay Duncan. It's not going to be a big name. Yeah. It's going to be somebody because if it's a big name, we're going to have these preconceived notions of who they are. You know, they're not going to be Philippe. They're going to be, you know, if it's Charles Dance, it's going to be Tywin Lannister. You know, it's, yeah. it's they need somebody who can just be Philippe. And if they get somebody everybody's familiar with, that's not going to happen. So hard to find. Well, maybe it's not actually hard, but I imagine it'd be hard to find like an undiscovered actor who's that good, you know, mm-hmm. the, the same way that Matthew Good is. It can be done. And I guess we'll find out this summer, I think. Didn't Deborah Harkness just tweet out that uh, casting news would come this summer? Yeah. You know, we're in spring, so summer is I, almost yeah, here. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It, it's coming. Summer is something. coming. Yes. <laughs> summer is coming. Gives me something to look forward to about summer, my least favorite season. Yeah. All right. So let's pull this back in from some season two talk. Um, okay. We talked a lot about the music in this show mm-hmm. in every single one of our season one episodes. Caitlin, can you narrow it down? Do you have a favorite song that was featured in the show? I mean, it's got to be Go Your Own Way, I guess. It, it, it's difficult for me to say that because I loved all the music, except for like Demons, because that one was so on the nose. But yeah, like even... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go your own way. It was good. It was a good cover to choose to mm-hmm. fit the scene. My favorite episode. Yes. Okay. I'm good. I'm. That's my decision. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> um, mine, and I, I think I talked about this in episode seven. Actually, was the the song I found by Amber Run. It, it again. It's it's on the nose. It's not quite as on the nose as Demons, but it's pretty yeah. close. Pretty close. Um, but it just fits so well. And I, I think it's it's my favorite of the whole season. Although the first the first song that we get in the show, the one that they wrote specifically. The Song of Home. The Song of Home, yeah. That one is also really, really good. And for you by Ray they're all fucking good. Damn. You know, they are. it's so hard to choose. Anya, did any of the music stand out to you? Or were you just paying attention to the science? You know, um, Go Your Own Way, I think, was the only song that really stuck out to me because it was the only one that I was obviously familiar with before going into the show. Um, Mm -hmm. And just like the kind of viewer that I am, I usually get really engrossed in the show and I just like I hear the music as mood music, but I don't often um, pick it out unless it's like particularly weird (laughs) or like Mm -hmm. uh, atonal. Um, so yeah, uh, I don't have anything else to say. And also I think you and Caitlin, um, both actually listened to the soundtrack separately from watching the show. Yeah. And so I think if I had done that, I would maybe have picked out a favorite. Um, but I unfortunately did not. Although, you know, actually, um, maybe before this podcast gets published i'll uh i will give the soundtrack a listen and at least pick a favorite song if not a favorite song in context it is on spotify okay yeah oh then i'll definitely i'll check that out tonight well like the soundtrack is just the score 
But if you want to, like, it doesn't have, other than Song of Poem, it doesn't have any of the... Oh, oh that's true. There's not, like, a playlist featured of the, music on it? the, like, actual pop Actually, music. I have created a playlist, and I can share the link with okay, you. Okay, cool. Oh, yeah, you too. should also we put can... it in the sh- show notes. Is that how Spotify playlists work? I don't know. Yeah, I've made it shareable, okay, so... Okay, cool. I, I do hope that they keep up the music in season two in the same way, although it might be weird with the 1590s or whatever. Oh, no, that'll be awesome. One of my favorite thing about the movie A Knight's Tale is the way they did the music. Yeah. They yeah, I love that too. totally so. do it. I do hope that they, yeah, that they pretty much take a Knight's Tale uh, view or whatever yeah. of it. That'll be Approach. great. Approach is a good word. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> we use it a lot in science writing. It's a, it's a very <laughs> handy word. Um, and actually, Mandy... I'm just saying I've never seen a Knight's Tale if you want to do a reverse PCD. Okay. You've I never will seen make a, a Knight's note of that. Tale? No, I had a deprived childhood. Oh my you did. Sorry. It's, it's, it's terrible and wonderful. I love it. All right. So let's, uh, I think that's most of what we wanted to wrap up about, but let's just do a quick talk about the future of our show, which, um, isn't going to be weekly now that season, well, until season two starts up again. But we're not going radio dark either for the entire, God, it's probably going to be like a year before before season two. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so depressing. It is. It is. We do have some fun things planned uh, for to fill in the gap between seasons. Mostly, I will say, including some extra science stuff. <gasps> Because this is news cut, to me, but I love it. We cut so much of our, our first two or three science sections to get them into a palatable length. So hopefully at some point we'll be bringing you all of Dr. Anya's... Uh, I'm trying to think of a polite word for rambling. <laughs> uh, expertise. Expertise on science from the first two episodes. I mean, we basically get a TED Talk from Dr. Anya every week. Yeah. It's great. That's very, and... very kind. <laughs> They're definitely not as thoroughly planned out as a true TED Talk, uh, but I'm glad. Well, you maybe think... it's a TEDx talk yeah. then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> a TEDx my bedroom. <laughs> yeah. But um, we had to cut them way down for length. And I remember when we were doing it, Mandy was like, can you tell me anything we can cut from this? And would just give me the clip. And I'm like, uh, and have it make sense. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, there was no cutting. And then obviously as soon as there's, you know, one minute of trailer, we're going to have to spend two hours dissecting that. Of course. Right? I'm very excited. And probably small episodes every time they announce new casting. We've talked about that. There's going to be a lot of stuff to talk about. Yeah. Um, And hopefully uh, I will be reading books two and three during this interim period. So um, perhaps as trailers come out i can uh i'll give you my hot takes that'd be cool yeah and we've got some other fun things planned too so and um we're gonna try to do some stuff uh that coincides with the series premiere on amc which is coming up in just a couple of weeks on april 7th so if you haven't i mean honestly if you're listening to us this long i'm sure you've already seen it (laughs) But if you haven't, for some reason, seen it yet, it's going to be on AMC soon. So there we go. I guess if it's like airing on television, 
it's a, a good way to, you know, just sort of accidentally have it on when somebody walks in the room. You know, if you want to, like, drag people in. Yes. Sorry, I was looking up um, if it's going to, when it's going to debut on BBC America, but apparently. I think it's the same. It's it? the same day and same time. Yeah. It's a cross-network strategy. None of these channels are available in Canada. No. So. But you can get Shutter in Canada. Yes, we can. But I just mean I don't think it's airing anywhere here. Right. So, once again, Canada gets shafted. You guys don't get, well, I guess BBC America would be America here, but Canada's in North America, so it could be BBC North America. You know, we might actually get BBC America. I honestly don't have cable in my house. Okay. I know we don't get AMC because there's a lot of AMC shows that film here but don't air here, and I always think that's hilarious. <laughs> but I, I honestly, I don't know about BBC America. We might get that. Well, I hope so. All right. Well, I guess that's that's it for season one. And so you can use hashtag Desire Made Real to join our conversation on Twitter. I'm Caitlin, and you can find my other show at a commandofherown.com or find myself on Twitter at Inferior Caitlin. I'm Mandy Kay, and you can find this show on Twitter at Desire Made Real, or you can send us an email to DesireMadeRealPod at gmail.com. And you can give me a shout out over on Twitter at Mandy Kay. And I'm Anya, and you can find me on Twitter at Strangely Literal. That's literal spelled L-I-T-E-R-L because of character limits. Um, and I have three shows that you can listen to uh, with my media company, Hallowed Ground Media, which you can find at www.hallowedgroundmedia.org. Um, so I have an American God show um, that I do with my co-host, Alan. Um, and it's called Shadows and Shamblers. And you can find that on Twitter at Shadow Shambler. And then I have another show that's also with Alan about uh, movies and books that were life-changing or uh, for some other reason are very near and dear to our hearts called Hallowed Ground Storycast, uh, which you can find on Twitter at HG Storycast. Um, and actually Mandy did a guest episode with us uh, almost exactly a year ago um, about the book and movie, Julie and Julia. Yes. Yes, I did. I don't know. <laughs> Do you want to say anything <laughs> about that? Like how? It... <laughs> yeah, it was, it's a great episode. It's a great show. Um, absolutely go listen to uh, Alan and Anya talk about some stuff that maybe isn't quite as pervasive in pop culture and the mainstream. Yeah, we really try and pick, uh, you know, books, movies, TV shows that are a little bit more off the beaten path kind of like more niche quirky stuff but uh, we always have someone on who can speak about it I think in a compelling way about why it meant so much to them and yeah Mandy's episode uh, was really great and it actually it inspired me to buy the Julia Child's cookbook and actually like I didn't do a full the full cookbook or whatever in a year I think I did like 10 recipes in a week or something um, so I got a little oh. bit of the French cooking experience nice and then my final podcast um, is called Audacity, a Me Too podcast. It's a podcast um, looking at Me Too 
uh, the movement as a cultural phenomenon um, and and also specifically from the perspective of survivors and how it relates to the podcasting community at large. Um, and so just the pilot is out right now, but I have a bunch of episodes recorded. Um, and, and now that I just submitted a couple publications, I'm going to actually uh, get started on editing them. Um, so they should be coming out pretty soon. So there's lots of Anya out there for you to enjoy until we are back with season two. And until we meet again, remember that with every ending, there is a new beginning. Thank you.